number three. Does anyone need a handout for the sermon if you didn't get one this morning? If you slip your hand up, the ushers will get that to you. Mark chapter number three, finishing up the chapter this morning, and uh, that'll be a good thing. It's good to see Debbie. You got all your all your daughters over there. I'm trying to figure out where John went. He's in the row behind, and so. And are those new glasses, John? Are those new? I think they are new. I like them. You look so studious back. You look so studious back there. So it does a good job of fooling me. No, I'm just kidding. But um, take our Bibles to Mark chapter number three. It's good to have each of you here this morning. Mark chapter number three. A lot of Sundays when it gets to Mother's Day. I'll stop whatever series I'm doing and preach a message on Mother's Day. But today we're just going to continue on in our series through the book of Mark. And ladies, since I've done that to you here, I'll do the same thing for fathers on Father's Day. And so, but Mark chapter number 3, and we're going to look at the end of the chapter this morning, verse 31 through verse 35. I'll review a little bit from last week, and then we will dive right in. And uh, in this first service, normally I say I'm going to get done so mothers, you can go out to lunch and do everything else. When we're done with this service, it doesn't really, you guys got, you can go out to breakfast in this case. You don't even have to wait for the lines of lunch, things like that, or go back home, whatever you're going to do. And so that'll be good. Mark chapter 3, verse number 31. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him, and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Quite an interesting few verses right here this morning. We're going to dive in. Let's have a word of prayer together, and then we'll dive into this passage and break it down just a little bit and get some thoughts. Father, we love you. We thank you for this passage of scripture. We thank you for Mother's Day today. So thankful for my mom and for the blessing she's been in my life all these years. I thank you for her, and I think of uh, Caroline today and the great mom that she is to our four children. I think about my mother-in-law this morning, and 13 kids, and what a great lady she is. Thank you for the mothers that you've put in my life, in my family. Thank you for all the mothers that are here in our church, and the love that they have for their children, for their grandchildren, whatever the case may be. And even some here this morning might not have their own children, but man, they've sure ministered to a bunch of kids over time, and have been a blessing to them. And though they might not have their own, they've got many children that they help minister to. I thank you for each of them this morning. I pray that they would be honored today and that you would just um, help their families honor them. May you just bless today. We love you. We praise your precious name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We look at our text this morning and we go back into verse number, go up into verse number 20. It says, and the multitude cometh together again, so they could not so much as eat bread. A big group of people has gathered with Jesus. It says, and when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he's beside himself. The scribes which came down from Jerusalem said he hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. 
And so we look in this passage here, his friends, his family thought he was cr- had gone crazy, Jesus. The scribes thought he was possessed by a devil. This is the scene. Jesus is preaching, he's there healing, doing all these different things, and this is what's going on around him. And as we look here this morning, as we close out chapter number 3, we see there came then, so this is all in the process. This is happening simultaneously as this is going on. His family comes, his brethren, his mother, and they are looking to have an intervention with Jesus. They're there to help, so-called they think. And we see some interesting things happen here. So they can't get into where Jesus is at because there's so many people there, right? So they're calling, had people tell them, Jesus, your mom and your family is calling, they want you outside. They're summonsing you to go out. Jesus just keeps on doing his thing. It was kind of foreign to that day. Family was very important. And then we see Jesus use a rhetorical question and kind of threw them off a little bit. And then he goes even deeper with that question. That's what we're going to talk about today and get some points here at the end. So let's dive in this morning and talk about the importance of being a part of the right family. Number one, we see an urgent request from Jesus' family. We see this in verse 31. Jesus is in a house teaching to a packed audience. And verse 31 tells us, There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. As I mentioned, the word then refers to this is going on simultaneously. This is the next thing that happens here. And there's so many people crowded into this house that the family can't get close enough to get Jesus' attention. Now this had to have been, this was quite a, they came probably from Nazareth, about 30 miles. Quite a journey, quite a hike. And uh, on Monday, Louie wanted me to go on a hike with him, and we did 11 miles and got to a peak up in Mount Baldy, and I could barely move for a, I fell the mountain, I literally did. But they, 30, probably close to 30 miles to come to where Jesus is at, to talk to him and to, to try and help him, or so they thought, and they couldn't even get to have a conversation with him. Now, some of you this morning might be sitting here thinking, whoa, Jesus had brothers and sisters? He had half-brothers and half-sisters. Got to understand something that Mary, before she had Jesus, didn't have children. She was a virgin, the Bible makes clear. And before Joseph and her came together, as the Scripture says, she had Jesus. But after that time, Mary and Joseph had other children. And the Bible makes that clear, and in fact, There could be many different words used here in the Bible, but it says, there came his brethren. Do you see the word brethren there? It literally means from the same womb right here. The word relatives could have been used, other words could have been used, but this is the word that is used. And so, when we think about this, let me just give you a few scriptures so you can see that Jesus had other, had brothers and sisters. We see in Matthew 13, verse 55 and 56, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and his brother, and James, and Joseph, and Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? The Bible tells us in Acts 1.14, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. 
Galatians 1.19 tells us, But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. And so if we get real technical, and as you study, if you've been here on Wednesday nights, so we go through the books of the Bible, the book of James was probably written by Jesus' half-brother. The book of Jude, which we're going to look at this Wednesday night, was probably written by Jesus' half-brother. And so when we look at those things, that does not mean that they were perfect like Jesus or anything else. The Holy Spirit conceived in Mary, Jesus, and that is how Jesus was perfect. And so Mary and Joseph just had other kids. How would you have liked to have been Jesus' brothers or sisters? That would have been awful. Think about it, Gene. What if you would have been Jesus' sister? You would have always gotten in trouble. You got in enough trouble as it was. But you would have gotten even more trouble because Jesus would have, you know, mom comes home and three cookies are gone. Who ate the cookies? It wasn't Jesus. He didn't do what he wasn't supposed to do. And, you know, the Bible tells us that really till Jesus' resurrection, they didn't really follow. His own received him not. There's other passages we could look at. But what we see here is we see that Mary and Jesus' brothers and sisters come. And they, in fact, in verse 31 here, it says they call, calling him. They were summonsing him, having a sense of authority behind it. You ever remember, as you, you remember as a kid, you might be playing outside. And, uh, man, I was just thinking about this last night as I was preparing and getting the message together. As a kid, I didn't play video games all day long. And some of you kids, you need to learn not to play video games all the time. Get outside. Get some fresh air. Play with a ball. It's okay, too. Play with... I remember my brother and I, we would go outside. There was only two of us. We'd play a whole baseball game, just the two of us, and be in the yard for three or four hours every night till dark. And that was our fun. And it wore me out, so I went to bed for my parents. And so, and then I look at our little backyard now, and we've got that much space. Bring them over to the churchyard and let them play here. But I just rem you remember, mom would be like, all right, it's dinner time. And then you'd, you'd be like, we got two more outs. Let's just finish this up. And mom would be like, get in the house now. And you knew it was time to come because mom had, uh, or else dad would say, boys, get in here. And you knew no, it was time to go. Or if your full name was ever used, you know, and Brian Matthew Patterson, yeah, you knew that was, there's a certain, when mom called, yeah, there was a, even now, I'll go down and be visiting my mom, and she just uses my name, there's something in me that just jumps because she said my name. And, uh, but we think about this here and we look at it, that, let me give you a thought before we dive into our next point, that instead of Jesus' family joining him in what he was doing, they were trying to get Jesus to do what they wanted him to do. We often do the same thing in our lives. We want Jesus to bless what we've got going on instead of lining up our lives and our wills with what he wants done. You've got to be very careful about that. And what a great prayer would be for each of us. Lord, I want to live the way you want me to live. I want your will to be lived out in my life. We need to get on Jesus' page, not get Jesus on our page. That's very important to think about. And 
you can even see the urgency of this, of this thing. The family wants him out because look at what the multitude does. The multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brother, in verse 32 there, without seek for thee. And Jesus is told that his family has arrived, and he needs to stop and go see what they want. But he keeps on going. Mary should have remembered what Jesus told her at, at the end of chapter 2 in Luke. Remember that? How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? That's exactly what Jesus was doing at that time, what God had for him to do. And so we see this morning the, an urgent request from family. As I was diving into these verses through the week, a thought came into my mind over and over again about family is foundational and family is very important. But following Christ must be first in our lives for every relationship. Number two this morning, we see a puzzling rhetorical question about family. A puzzling rhetorical question about family. Once the message comes to Jesus, that his family's asking for him, he asks a startling question that must have messed with his mom, his siblings, and probably those sitting right there in the room with him. Look at what he says in verse number 33. And he answered them saying, who is my mother or my brethren? Well, she's standing right outside. Your brothers are standing right outside there. And when we look at this, this response was kind of a radical response for this day and maybe even revolutionary to those who were listening that day because in Israel, in that time, family, it was a, it was a, the bond was very special. It was tight and long-lasting. Families would stay close. They would live near the same city together. They would, and they would spend time, that culture, and nothing was more important than family in those days. In fact, most of Jesus' family lived real close to where Mary was. Jesus is the one that's going all over the place. You know, today, it's different. Some people have kids all over the place, right? My mother-in-law, 13 children. She's got some in Africa. She's got some in um, Indiana, some in California, some in New Mexico. They're all over the place. But back in, a lot of times, family would stay very close to one another. And so Jesus' response here, you've got to understand something, a rhetorical question when we look at this. It's a figure of speech used to drive truth into a person rather than to get them to give an answer. You know, sometimes I'll ask a rhetorical question in church. It's not for you to pipe up right then and give an answer to it. It's to get you to think. And so next service, I got a few people that like to answer those right away. If I give a, maybe I just need to do a rhetorical question and then give the question. It's just to get you to think. And that's what Jesus is doing right here. And so Jesus was skillful. In, the, in his responses all the time, and the questions that he might ask. And in fact, in Mark chapter number 8, we got a long time until we get there, but when we finally get there, he asked eight different questions just in that chapter. And all of it was designed to get the listener to slow down, to ponder, and to prepare for what Jesus is about to say. So we see his family has an urgent request. They want him. We see a puzzling rhetorical question about family, and then... We see number three, a new definition of family given by Jesus. Instead of easing the awkward tension, Jesus dials it up even more right here in verse 34. 
And he looked round about on them which sat about him. So those that are in the house with him, he looks around to all those that are in that house that are there listening to him as he's preaching and teaching them there. And what we see is he looks around and looks at everyone there. And what does he say? Behold, my mother and my brethren. Was he referring to his mom and siblings outside? Or was he referring to those in the room with him? He was referring to those in the room with him. That's what the Bible says right here. And that as we look at this, and even in Matthew 12, verse 49, it provides a little bit more, and he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. Don't miss the truth that is right here. Being a half-brother to Jesus didn't make a difference on their spiritual condition. In fact, in John chapter 7, verse 5, I don't think I have it up there for you, but his siblings didn't believe until after the resurrection. Mary even knew for a fact that she was a sinner. There are those out there that magnify and lift Mary up, but Mary's the one who said in Luke 1, verse 45, 46 and 47, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary needed a Savior. It's amazing to me, and there are those out there that lift her up, and she should, she, you know, she was a great woman, godly woman, a vessel used by God, and that's wonderful. But to exalt her highly and even to pray to her to get to Jesus doesn't really work. And in fact, I think the Bible makes that clear right here. Because Jesus' mother is standing outside, hey, Jesus, we need to talk. He's like, I'm doing my father's work. We get to the end of these verses here, and verse 35 provides some clarification to what he was saying. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and mother. You're like, well, we talk a lot about that salvation is not about doing, it's about what Christ did for me. It's been done. But this verse tells us, look at verse 3, For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and mother. Well, let's put this verse, let's give you a verse to help you understand this verse a little bit better. John chapter number 6, verse 28 and 29. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him who hath, whom he hath sent. So you see, Jesus is not going contrary to what he says. So he says you need to do the will of God, do the work of God. This is the work of God, that you believe in Jesus Christ. And what he did for you. That's what it comes down to. I love how Charles Spurgeon even put it like this. I will never maintain that by grace. He said, I will ever maintain that by grace we are saved and not by ourselves. And that's the truth about it. It's by grace are you saved through faith and that not yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. We look at this passage of scripture this morning and we see several things. We see family. We see his family, I think, with a genuine concern for Jesus. They didn't need to be concerned, but they had a genuine concern for him. 
We see they can't get into the room where Jesus is at, so they want him to come out. And Jesus then answers and gives a rhetoric, who is my mother, who is my brethren? And then he gives a new definition of family. You're my brethren. The spiritual family. You also see him go into, as he closes here, how to be a part of that family. Family is foundational. But following Christ must come first. I want to give you a few thoughts, some application this morning, and we'll be done. One of the things, and I've done, I remember as a kid, it happened every once in a while. My dad would gather us together, my young brother and I and my mom, and we'd kind of have like a family huddle together. Do you know what I mean? A family talk. We'd sit down, and they would just, this is some things maybe we need to work on as a family. These are things we need to do, and we would do those things. This last week, the kids and I had a little family huddle about some things. And we talked about how we were going to make Mother's Day special for Caroline. And so we all, I let them throw in their ideas. We all got our ideas together. They made cards. They spent their own money for gifts and things. But let's just take a couple minutes and let's zone in together like a family huddle here for a minute. Let me give you a few biblical principles just to be a help to each of us this morning. And then we'll be on our way. First one is this. Number one, spiritual relationships are vital. And they're very important. Jesus states this right here. That's why, church, let me just give you a few thoughts on this. Do you realize that those, your brothers and sisters in the Lord, you're going to be spending eternity with them? You are. It's why we need to be getting along. It's why we should never be gossiping about one another. It's why we should be treating everyone right. Because spiritual relationships, they're vital and they're important. This morning, I hope you understand too, and I think you understand the fact that our physical re family relationships are important. And you, need to, and you need to do your best to have a good relationship with your family. Sometimes your family's not going to understand why you do the things that you do. In fact, this morning, there might be some of you here, your family wanted to get together at 7 o'clock this morning, but you said, we're going to church before we go. And I think God honors that. I think there is a point where you got to stand up for Christ, even with family. And you got to decide for yourself where you draw those lines. That's not my job to figure that out for you. You need to figure out where you stand with that. But spiritual relationships, they're vital and they're important. And we need to view each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 5, verse number 2, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, and elder women as mothers, and younger as sisters with all purity. This was God's design in the church. The older men, entreat them as a father. The younger men, treat them as brothers. The, young, the elder women as mothers, that's what the scripture says here. And sometimes we don't put enough emphasis on the spiritual relationships that we have. They're important, they're foundational, they're good, they're a good thing. Because we're going to spend eternity with one another. And sometimes our spiritual family... We treat them worse than we treat our physical family. And some of us treat our physical family a lot worse than what we should as well. I'm not going to park here long, but God tells you, and young people in the room, there's not many, there's a few. 
but you're supposed to obey your parents. Honor thy father and thy mother. I don't think that that's a request just for children. I think that as long as your parents are living, 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 yeah, living, do your best to honor them. You might say they don't deserve me to honor them. And yet Christ loves us and calls us his child. Do your best with it. And I get, I wish everyone in this room could have had the mom that I have. And I know that not everyone has. But I'll tell you this, and next service I might not say these things because I'm recorded. And a lot of my mom's family now, I got word the other day, my uncles and my aunt, they watch me every week. That's scary. I got to be careful what family things I say. And so the internet, that's a little scary. And, you know, they're, they're talking to my mom about it, too. And I'm like, just calm down there just a little bit. So I don't think I can add this. But my mom, the first time she heard I love you from her mom was when she got married at 16. Say, why did your mom get married at 16? My dad was 20. She's 16. Her family was moving to Lake Elsinore, and they lived in Compton. So back then, that was a long ways. We're talking early 60s. Today, that's no distance at all. But early 60s, that was a long ways. But the first time my mom ever heard that I loved you was on her wedding day. So my mom goes above and beyond. If you're ever with me, and she calls. She says I love you three times before she hangs up. And she used to just keep going with it, and I would tell her, Mom, you got to stop this. i got people around me. But she did her best, and I'm grateful for that. And I should be doing my best to honor her. And maybe your mom's not a Christian. Maybe your mom was awful in your life. Maybe you could just show her the love of Christ and what he's done in your life and get her to Christ. Just a thought. Spiritual relationships are vital and they're important. Number two, if you live out your faith, some in your family will think you've lost it. You go to church more than once a month? Why in the world do you do that? It's Mother's Day. Why do you go to church on Mother's Day? They th- what are you doing? You're going on a beach trip with your church family? Why wouldn't you go on a beach trip with all of us? Sometimes these things, we see Jesus living out of his faith, and his family thought he lost it. He's beside himself. When you live for God, people are not always going to understand it. Your parents might not understand it. Your spouse might not always get it. Your children might think that you're a little crazy. And... Peter even said, he complained a little bit about all that he left to follow the Lord. Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30. Listen to these verses. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time. Those are key words, now in this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and the world to come, eternal life. What is that saying? Look at all you gain in the family of God. That's what it's talking about right there. You gain more siblings. You gain all these things. That's what Jesus said. 
kind of a mind-boggling statement. Whatever you've lost on account of Christ, you'll receive a hundred times in this life, in this time. And so, spiritual relationships are important. If you live out your faith, some in your family will think you've lost it. Number three, invest time in your family, but not at the expense of Christ. There is a fine line between these things here. And I'm giving you a principle right now, and this is what needs to, this is what you got to understand. I'm going to give you some thoughts here in just a moment. These are what I do and what my family does. Because my family does things this way doesn't mean you have to do things just like I do them. I'm telling you how we do them. But the principle is here. That it's, you need to invest time in your family. But you got to make sure that Christ always comes first. Our relationships, husbands in the room, you will not be the husband you should be to your wife if you do not put Christ first. Moms in the room, you will not be the mother that God wants you to be to your children if you don't put Christ before your children. And may I just say, and, we'll, and I don't want to get anybody mad at me this morning. This is Mother's Day. But be very careful, too. There's an order to things. God should be first. But then next should be the husband and wife relationship. Before the kids. That's being foreign in our world today. It's important to invest time. One of the blessings, this COVID thing over the last year, one of the biggest blessings at the beginning of it was all the extra family time we got to have. I really enjoyed that. And we got to do lots of things that we hadn't done in a while, and it kind of reset us on some things. And that's wonderful, and that's a great thing. But you got to make sure that your investment, investing time, doesn't also take you away from putting Christ where he belongs in your life. And so... You know, if years ago the sin was p families or parents um, ignoring their family, today one of the biggest problems we have is the fact that we make children the center of everything in our lives. We don't live in a patriarchy or a monarchy. We live in a kindergarchy where marriages revolve around children. Let me just give you a thought here. We do our children no favor by making them the center of our life and existence. Christ must be number one. Your spouse must be number two. And you've got to understand, your children need to be very important. You need to love your children. But you've got to make sure that they're put in the proper order of things. Because you've got to remember something. I love this quote. Our children don't really belong to us. That's a hard word, but a good word, for there's no better parent than our Heavenly Father. It's a good quote right there. The best way to love your family, the best way to love your spouse, the best way to love your kids is to love Jesus more than your family. You will never love your family more than when you love Jesus. And I think the Bible does say something about except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. The Lord is foundational and must be have the preeminence not only in our church, but in our homes and in our families. Number four, 
Don't let sports or other activities crowd out your commitment to Christ. Now, let me, before I hit this point here for a second, I'm going to give you a few thoughts right here. I love sports. I want my kids as they get older, and we've even contemplated putting William maybe in football, different things. I love sports, and I want my kids to learn to play sports. I think for the boys, I think it's a good thing. It teaches them some skills and things that they will be useful in life. It teaches them a team concept. Those are very important. So I am not saying that sports or activities are wrong in your lives. That's not what I'm saying. But they can lead to trouble when they crowd out your commitment to Christ and they get lifted up. That's what I'm talking about right here. Now, I'm deeply concerned for our world today and our Christian families. Because you see folks that were once faithful to God and to church let other things crowd in. Be it sports, be it they buy a boat. And the only day I got to use my boat is Sunday. I'll have ch or two or three are gathered in his name. So there's three of us on the boat. We prayed God's right there. We had church on the boat. Does boat, church, Baptist church, whatever the case may be. We've got to be careful not to crowd out our commitment to the Lord. There was a, um, an article. This was a um, kind of a satire thing. But anyways, it says, After 12 years of quarterly church attendance, Parents shocked by daughter's lack of faith. This was, here, let me read it to you. Trevor McNeilson was simply stunned at the revelation. I just don't understand it. Every single time there was a rained out game or a break between school and club team seasons, we had Janny in church. It was at least once per quarter. It was obviously a priority in our family. I just don't get where her spiritual apathy is coming from. You know, the more I think about it, the more this illustrates how the church just keeps failing this generation, this man lamented. The Mickelsons further noted plans to have a chat with the pastor of their church after their younger son Robert's soccer season calms down a bit. It was a joke article. But you have your kids in church once a quarter, church will not be important to them. What you make of spiritual things, don't expect your family to even follow your commitment to the Lord. And so we got to be very careful. I read an article once, and this was a good article, when Baal becomes Baal. You cannot let the things of this world become the God of your life. Christ must have first place. This is not popular stuff in our world today, but it's important couple thoughts when it comes to activities and sports in your family. The first one is this. Decide beforehand that there will be no contest between church essential activities designed for your family's spiritual growth and what the team plans for your lives. That's a good thought right there. Say, well, what do you consider an essential church function? I don't consider a beach trip essential. There might be a little bit of spiritual growth, and there's fellowship, and so I think it's a good thing, but I don't think that it would be essential. I think church would be essential. You agree with me on that? I think church is essential. 
Do you think um, couples things to help grow your marriage that are coming up in two weeks is essential? Yeah, I would. Do you think a do you think youth groups essential? Yes. Do you think a teen activity is essential? Not as much. But I would say youth group, yes. Teen activity, not as much. You kind of get what I'm saying? So wins and you say, well, well, pastor, I just can't come to church three times a week. You and the Lord got to figure out for your family where you stand and what you do. I am not your Lord or your boss to tell you what to do. In my family, we believe that church is a priority and we go to church anytime the doors are open. That's where I stand. If that's not where you stand, you do what is best for your family and you talk about it as a family and figure that out for yourselves. But we got to be very careful that we don't let things crowd our commitment to the Lord. And it got very quiet on me this morning when I was talking about these things. It might even do you some good to sometime go watch, and I don't know, I can't remember all of this movie, but the movie's called Chariots of Fire. I would encourage you as a family to, and maybe parents, you watch it first to make sure I believe it's all good. But it's about an Olympian, Eric Lindell. He lived out his um, conviction of not playing sports on Sundays. And so it might be a good movie for some to watch. And now we're just going to get off of all that because it got very quiet in the room. Number five. It's going to take courage to live out your commitment in a culture that doesn't value what God values. Our culture doesn't. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Watch ye stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. We need husbands, fathers, mothers that will do as Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which are on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. Determine to put God first. Put his priorities first. Something that you'll notice as well, and this is just a little side thought. Where was Jesus' family? They were on the outside, right? Then you notice that the people were on the inside. Be as close to the Lord as you can. Get as close to him as you can. Our families in the day and age that we live, we need more, more, more about Christ than we ever have. What an interesting passage of scripture right here. Let's take the things that we've heard this morning. Let's apply them to our lives. Let's help our families. Let's put Christ first where he belongs in the forefront of our lives. Father, we